Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com. I've had conversations with believers and unbelievers where we would have conversations about the Bible and people would say, that couldn't, you can't possibly believe that. And why wouldn't you believe the Bible? They say, well, start off with the creation in Genesis. They would start off that. How can you say that the world was created in six days when we have the dinosaurs? Or you, the, Noah's flood could possibly have happened because it was a more localized flood, as people would say. So you can, it wasn't the whole world. So we put reasoning to what we can understand. But a lot of the doubt stems from the creation. If that doesn't make sense, how can all the other things make sense after that? Does it make sense? Yeah. yeah. So it starts with a premise of the doubt. And one of the doubting things that uh, exists in our culture is that evolution is science. Okay, so in the past couple of years, especially uh, whether you're left or right, doesn't matter about your political view. But what we have seen is that the use of the language, it's science. It's science as if to say it's truth, correct? Okay. They're using the word science to equate truth. And if you don't agree to science, then you don't believe in truth. This is the language that is being used all throughout. So... Under science, they're saying, is evolution. Therefore, evolution is truth. Therefore, creation by the creator could not have happened. You, you with me in the logic? So let me tell you a story. Um, all throughout the history of mankind, no, especially in the Christendom, Nobody ever questioned creation account of the Bible. Nobody questioned it. God created? Fine. And in fact, uh, about 1600, Archbishop James Usher, he was this Irish archbishop, highly theological, one of the best teachers in in the history of that time. Well, he was doing Bible study, and in his theological study, he took down, he wrote down all the names of... um, the, the inheritance, you know, begot, begot, begot. They lived to 900. They lived to 600. He took all that generational uh, lineage, plotted on a timeline until he got to Adam and said, okay, based on this calculation, the earth is where the creation account was X number of years, which in turn interpreted young earth theory. The whole creation, the whole world is less than 10,000 years old. Nobody doubted that. A couple hundred years later, in the mid to late 1800s, it was the Christian geologist, as they're looking through certain layers, they're saying, in finding fossils or dinosaurs, they're questioning, maybe the earth is a little bit older than a few thousand years. It was actually the Christians. That's part of all the theories. And, and uh, so I, I'm saying it wasn't Darwinian. It wasn't the evolutionist who questioned the creation account. It was the geologist that said, maybe the earth is not as young as it has been taught. Uh, then you have the Darwinian. Uh, Charles Darwin, late 1800s. And, and it was, he wasn't the originator. This idea of the evolution, theory of evolution, that we came from monkeys, that has been talked about. So he wasn't the originator, but he talked about it. It was never taught in school system until about, I think, 1910, uh, Scope's trial, and there was actually even a movie made. Uh, But what happened was a a science teacher wanted to teach theory of evolution in school system, and back then it was a Christian, (laughs) Christian culture, and it went to the Supreme Court. Uh, But one of the problems was that Christians said you can't teach that junk in school system because they 
as a culture, America believed in Christian faith, God the Creator. Uh, when it went to the Supreme Court, it was interesting that technically the the church won to keep Darwinian out of school system, but under the trial, what revealed was that Christians could not really defend how to talk about in faith from the Bible to how we came to be, uh, meaning the Darwinians look smarter. <laughs> the science sounded smarter. Uh, Christians have been taught but didn't know how to really disagree with intelligent arguments, at least during the Scopes trial. So they won the case, but they look like the loser, if that makes sense. What changed after within the past 100 years in the United States is that this idea of evolution grew. And even within the church, we're teaching our kids, hey, God created us, but we, even the teachers, the parents, cannot full, they're not fully convinced because we're taught in school systems, evolution, Big Bang, and all these other things. And so what's going on is that parents are teaching their kids God, but we're not convinced. Does it make sense? Okay. So what I want to bring to your attention tonight is why you can believe in the Bible. How to study the Bible so you get what you're supposed to get. You cannot take out what it was never meant to give you. You have to get what God wanted you to get from the Bible. And that means you have to know how to study the Bible. Okay. So, so before we get into this uh, Bible study, let me talk about uh, Genesis. Before you read any book, you have to, you ought to understand what genre is it written. Because by its genre, you will read it very differently. Understand? You're not going to read a science book as if you read history book. You're not going to read history book like you might read poetry book. You, every genre offers very different style and you interpret very differently. So I ask you a question. What is the genre of Genesis? History. Good try. It, it, is, it is historical, but the genre is not history. The genre, literary genre. What do you think? Genesis means the beginning. But what is the literary genre that it's written in? That... So in genre of poetry, metaphoric, symbolic, exist. Uh, more specific, does this go? Okay. More specific genre of Genesis is ancient, near, eastern, epic, poem. Ancient Near Eastern epic poem, but it's poem, it's poetry. Now, why is that important to know? Uh, consider, b before we even get to the text, consider how, who's the author? Okay, God, but Moses. Okay, but when did Moses write it? At the beginning of the creation? Was he there in the creation? No. How did Moses get this Genesis story? Holy Spirit, what else? Revelation. Revelation? It was a song. So you guys, uh, this is where I'm going back to high school. The, the campfire stories, you guys heard about that, right? Iliad, Homer, all these were oral traditions, exactly. They were before they, uh, people were literate, 
there were the oral traditions. In order to remember these stories that the father told to the son, to told to his generation and generations after, to keep that consistently uh, accurate generation to generation, people memorized it. And what is easier to memorize than songs, poems? <laughs> so imagine before Moses even heard the story, it's been said orally for hundreds or thousands of years before him. Hebrew child heard heard so many times he memorized it himself that even though he authored and wrote it down he wasn't the originator of the story you guys with me okay so then that's going to give you the backdrop of genesis oral tradition ancient near eastern epic po poetry and how do you read poetry just help me out here how do you read poetry? Artistic rhythm. What else? Symbolic. Symbolic. Oh, let me bring to your attention. When you read um, in Western culture, in Western literature, like Socratic method, Socratic argument, philosophy, there is the it's very linear, meaning there is usually the claim, then there's a support, argument, reason, backdrop to support the claim, then, then there's a conclusion. You guys get that? So there is the logical understanding in a Western thinking. So when you read the New Testament, often for the Westerners, it's much easier to read the New Testament than it is to read the Old Testament. I don't know if you guys felt that. But many people's, because of the way the language works and the argument and the reasoning happens, it's more closer to how we think. Old Testament, Hebrew, different culture, different culture. The way the Hebrews or the ancient Near Eastern cultures speak is very different. In fact, it could be said, it's almost like, a spider where their ideas somehow, this is sort of like my wife's spaghetti method, but um, here's a central idea, and they paint a picture of what they're talking about. Here's what happened, and they're all somehow interrelated. People speak differently on the personality, but also different cultures speak differently. And, and in some culture, they're more picturesque to convey their message. They will show a picture with a thousand, you know, thousand words, yeah. Uh, so when we read poetry, it can be historical. So it, when I say poetry, it does not mean it's fictional. Understand that. When I say poetry, there are poetry that can be very accurate and true. But the strength of poetry is that it's more than meets the eye or more than the words. There's depth. There is subject to interpretation. There's some artistic value, beautiful value, rhythm, rhyme. Um, yeah. Deeper sense than the few words, much deeper. So when, so when you get to different translations, does that change that? So uh, what are, let's consider the translation. The original in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is written in um, form of Hebrew. I think it's Masoretic Hebrew. So there are different kinds of Hebrew language. In fact, even in the original, there were no vowels. The vowels were actually added much later on, these little dots that are, became the vowels. So it, it's interesting that, um, it were there was even a consider uh, there was a time when the Hebrews could not read Hebrew. <laughs> the Jews could not read their own language because when they were 
kicked out, exiled from their own country, and they were living in foreign land after so many times, um, and they were forced to study the language of their culture, they came back and they didn't know how to read. And just like language, you have to upkeep the language. They couldn't teach our kids what they didn't themselves did not know. So what happened? Uh, they we found something called Septuagint. This is separate teaching, but LXX, when you look at your Bibles and there's like subtext as you see LXX, that's Septuagint, that's the Old Testament Bible written in the Greek. And it's a very accurate, it, it, we have copies that are second century BC. 200 years before Christ, we have caught very old translations of the Old Testament Bible. And we can compare that to Bible we have today, and it's like, wow, it's like ivory soap, 99.6% pretty accurate to, you know, original. Because the people considered it so sacred that when they translated it or transcribed it or copied it, if they missed a dot, they would start all over because they consider it sacred. So it, it's important to consider how the ancient people viewed the text that we study. Not to study in our 21st century eyes, but to consider how the ancients considered it, viewed it, and read it, or studied it. And then we can get a feel of what it ought to mean to us today. Does it make sense? Okay, so the danger of Genesis is that we have been reading the Bible with our 21st century lens. And seeing your responses that it's genre of poetry and you didn't know it, meaning you have been reading it wrong. Can we acknowledge that? Yeah. If you read it as a history book, you're, you're expecting to come across as a history book with its accuracy and details. But if you now consider it as a poetry, you're going to read it completely different. I guarantee you. And that's what we want to do. Okay, and We're going to go back and study it with fresh perspective. And, and that's what I invite you guys to do. To welcome... I, Genesis is my favorite book. I've read it probably more than other books. But Genesis is one of those things, one of those special books every time I read, I get more more. So I welcome you to look at it with fresh perspectives. Okay? So I'm going to hand out copies. And oh, by the way, in, in case you guys don't know, there are different translation purposes. And if you guys don't know this, this is good to, for you guys to know. There is a difference between dynamically translated versus literal translation. They all have their purpose. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but they have different purposes. So when you have a translations like the message, so message, it's more paraphrased. You get the idea. It's not meant to be accurate. It was never intended to be. So you have message translation that gives you the idea. You have the NIV. Is also dynamically translated, so when you read it, the sentence is not word for word, but it's kept pretty accurate to the original. There is the ESV, NASB, RSV, and they all come from the same tradition. It's just translated from each other. And then there's King James. Okay? Now, in seminary, when I used to do translation work and, and yeah, translating some of these Bible things. To see how well I did, I would look at King James after I translated. And it, because King James is literally word for word. But just because you get word for word doesn't mean you get a good translation because it's so awkward that you don't fully understand what are they saying just because you get word for word. So in that, ESV does a little bit better. It's word for word, replace thou to you. Um, and then they do some cross-reference to, to bring to the 21st century idea, but almost word for word. 
Does it make sense? NIV is dynamic translate. So I, when I'm doing study, I do ESV. And the copyright in a recent academia uh, with the archaeological findings, ESV is a very good translation. So I highly recommend that. I also do King James, but original King James, the new King James is a little bit better, but uh, King James version in the earliest, their text criticism is not as good because they started out with only really three copies, uh, archaeological copies. And since then, we've discovered a lot more to be able to compare older transcripts that are more accurate. So in that, I think ESV is a little bit better copy. All offer great value. Okay, anyways, that's a little side note. I'm gonna hand out to you. Do you guys have pen? Yeah, yes. I want you to do one you're going to look at this poetry before you and as a poetry and and the reason why I brought ESV is that in the translation you're not going to see the play on words that you see in certain poetry like one example man is ish in Hebrew and woman is isha there's a play on, there's a root word, and there's the male and feminine, masculine and feminine. There are repetition of words that you may not see. But what you do see in the ESV is this repetition and um, patterns. I want you to recognize those patterns. I want you to recognize that, that you are looking at poetry and why it's poetry. Does it make sense? Okay, and also find a purpose. Why do you think this Genesis was given to the people of God? That's your question. While you're reading, why was it told? Why was it given to the people of God? What's the purpose that God was trying to get them to know? Okay. During this segment, the class was given the opportunity to read Genesis 1 of the creation account and make notes of what they've read. The long silence has been edited for the podcast. So looking at it with poetic genre understanding, are you reading it differently? What stands out for you? Patterns. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. There are specific patterns. Let there be, and it was. There was a command that there was, and it's good. There's day and night, right? Closure pattern that gets over and over. What else do you see? Rhythmic, mm-hmm. yes, rhythmic, like a song, mm-hmm. yeah. And if it was in the original language and this was your language, you could probably sing it in a song mm-hmm. with that rhythm, and the same words that gets repeated, it's much easier to repeat and memorize, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Good. Anything else? Anything like, um, oh, I didn't see that before. Yeah. Yeah. There's order reorganization kind of things happening, right? Okay. In English. So to me, what what comes to me from that is it was it was already created in God's mind before it was Mm -hmm. given to man. Mm -hmm. 
that word let let there be is the same root word to be which the name Yahweh comes from to be so he in the creation let there be is a commandment sort of structure that is coming from his own nature which is very interesting it's there's a play on word of God who he is in his nature in his word so uh, it's interesting that in John in the beginning was the word and the word was God word was right when you see that it starts off let there be and the word was the agent of creator or creation there's a lot of poetry going on here metaphorically symbolically there's depth right in the meanings Which verse? On uh, the the heavens, the earth, the earth, the earth, the earth, the earth, I, yeah, I didn't notice that one before. Thank you. When we look at Genesis, though, what do you think is the purpose for the Hebrew people as they sang these songs? So we're going through biblical creation, and we just talked about the genre of Genesis. And we've been kind of looking at the Bible to look at with a fresh perspective that it is poetry in addition to um, the ancient Near Eastern epic poem. Yeah, it is poetry. Okay, anyways, what do you think was the purpose that God was like, hey, I want you to memorize this. I want you to tell it to your kids. Why? What's the lesson or purpose that God wanted for his people to know or remember? Yeah. Thing. And this shows, I mean, if you look at the sequence of the way everything was created, um, man didn't come until everything else was already in place. Yeah. Until everything was already there. Yeah. For his, not just survival, but for his Yeah. There is specific intentionality in God's creation order. He said, he, day one, he created something, it was good. Day two, created something. Oh, it's good. Only after it's good, he goes to the next stage. The next stage. They get to day six. He makes man and woman in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And he said, it's very good. There is distinction between all the world, it's good. Because his nature is good. But when he got to man and woman, it's very good. Meaning, all these things that's been created was for the purpose of this man and woman. Uh, understand that purpose. I created the heavens and the earth for you. I created this garden with all the plants, food for you. You weren't created looking for food, starving. You were created and placed in the garden where all this beauty has been made and prepared for you. There's an order. And you were not made by chance. So what is the world teaching us today? That you are by chance, accident, randomness. Okay, so consider uh, Darwinian. Okay. Which even Darwin thought a single cell was the most simple form and from that it evolved into something more complex now the scientist today knows a lot more than what Darwin knew then that one single cell contains strings of DNA and it's far more complex than what Darwin ever thought possible 
So what he thought was simple is far from being simple. What he thought was like, you know, single cell and randomness, it can create life, and, and from that, it, no. Uh, so there's a really good book, uh, Darwin on Trial. Uh, I forget the author, it's Philip something. Um, he's not a Christian, or he could be a Christian, but he was an attorney, not to write a Christian book. His purpose was, if Darwin was placed on trial in the court of law today in the United States, would this pass the mustard? Would it pass the test to say, bring on the evidence, make your argument, and would we believe, would the case be accepted? And he said, no way. In fact, his argument was, as an attorney, he just broke down these claims with no support, no evidence, therefore you could not get to the conclusion that he made based on the evidence that we have today. So, uh, okay, so in talking about evolution, that the world is teaching you it's science, right? And we said earlier that the way the world is using the word science equates to truth. Because you see, watch the news, you believe in the science? Come on, we're relying on the science. And what they're saying is, this is true. Okay, within science are theories. They speculate, assume, write hypothesis based on what they gather to be true. And what these hypotheses or these theories have been taught in school system as science and truth, it become ideology. It has become dogma. It become religion. It, it really is. So what our kids are growing up and they're taught evolution is science, therefore it's true. You couldn't believe the creator God made the creation. And what so here's what the evolution's the science, what they're teaching our kids or have taught you guys. You're made out of chance, out of randomness. You came from a single um, cell. You have evolved into something a little bit more complex. One argument, your eyesight. I, if that was true, where is the evidence of the missing link that evolved from the monkey to the human? Why is there still monkeys? Why are there still humans? There's nothing, no creator creature in between, right? There's no evidence. None ever found. And for it, uh, the scientists all know this, the eye does not work if once, you know with the rods and the cones and the nervous system, it's so complex that you cannot go from almost, you know, it creates, in, in the evolution, you have everything, and then all of a sudden you have sight. It's not a blurry vision that becomes clear. It either works or it doesn't. That's how vision works. So you either have eyes or you don't. Does it make sense? And there is no evidence. Now, there are evidence of microevolution to macroevolution. Microevolution is to say a bird flies to a different region because it finds the food that the beak size increases to adapt to the environment to get the food to survive, the survival of the fittest language. There is evidence of microevolution, adaptation. adaptation. Right. You know, Coloradoans come to Florida, man, we start sweating, and all of a sudden we adapt to the humidity. Right? That's adaptation. But it doesn't mean we become a new crea creation or a creature or another animal altogether. Now, uh, microevolution, macroevolution. Macroevolution is to say, we come from monkeys. Single cell to tadpole to monkey to human being, where it comes from one organization or organism to another organism, completely different. No evidence of that. Theory, junk theory, but it's a theory. Under science, which does not equate to truth. And so we have to, 
So in that argument of randomness, the world is saying, you are here by chance. Therefore, there is no purpose for you. You have to find that purpose. Whereas, we look in the Bible, and God has an order. He had a purpose. Before he created, he had a plan. He said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let him rule over all the creation. That's an inheritance language. Say it in another way. Honey, I love you. I love you so much. Out of our love, let's have a child who look like us. Let's build our business so that we can give them a beautiful home, have a life, send them to school, prosperity, blessing like we've never had because let's just pour into because of our love. The natural inclination of love is procreation, life, and inheritance, blessings. So all this creation language is inheritance language. You ever talk to people and goes, why do you think God created man? You, you ever had a conversation like that? Okay. So why do you think God created man? Uh, let me just say two most common answers. We were created to, to love him and we were created to worship him. Okay. And it's cited in the Bible, but we say that so much as a cliche that we say God made man. Why did you make us? To love him, to worship him, and to serve him. James serving, um, you know, love, worship, that's all over the Bible. Okay. Let me just blow this theory. Imagine God the Almighty in heaven with everything. All powerful. The most glorious God with angels, thousands and thousands of angels for all eternity, bowing down, worshiping angels with angelic voices, singing praises to him all the days of his life. And he goes, oh, I need one more person to tell me how great I am. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, right? No. God doesn't need to create a man to give him praise, not for the original purpose. I think in response to us realizing who he is, we give him praise. That's our natural thing, but not for the purpose of. Okay. Uh, the other one's to serve him. God, in his all omnipotent power, he goes, let there be. And it was. Day two, day three, day four. And after the six days, he's like, I'm tired. Let me make man. Let him just uh, run it because I'm tired. I'm going to rest now. The rest of it. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Okay. Are we to serve him? Yes. But he didn't create us to serve, not for the purpose of serving. He doesn't need servants. He didn't need caretakers. Yeah. Children. He wanted children. So... The language in verse 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay. Image in the, yeah, likeness. Uh, there's actually two words for image and likeness, but... In the Greek, the Septuagint I, I mentioned to you, the Greek translations of the Hebrew Bible for image is icon. Icon in the Greek. Now, when we look at icon in a business icon, you look at apple and we don't think we're going to eat it. You're thinking iPhone, iMac. <laughs> It used to be a fruit, but the icon has become so dominant in this culture that when we say apple, it's more iPhone than we think fruit, right? That's the icon. So as soon as you see Apple logo, you immediately think of Steve Jobs and great technology because there's a 
branding of that icon that we see that shows company, power, wealth, technology, and also this consumer mindset that says I have the best product wh or whatever people believe that they bought into. N not negate. Go ahead. Yeah, symbol, representation. Because everything that when you see that Apple logo, it represents the creator, Steve Jobs, and all its products that he invented or created. Okay, and people buy into the icon, the brand. So what is God saying? He goes, let us make man in our image, in our icon. So think about that. When, the, when people see us, they see God. So uh, Genesis chapter 5, yeah, I, I can paraphrase uh, what Genesis 5 is. There's a gene genealogy of from Adam to Seth to begot, 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 and the children and children, and all the names of the... It starts off, God had Adam in his own image. Adam had Seth in his own image. That language is to say the likeness, just like if you see my son, he looked like me. <laughs> it, that likeness is that genetic code that says he is from me, he looks like me, and when I t tell my son, when you go out there, be on your behavior because when they see you, they're seeing me because you are my representation. You carry my name and my genetic code and my identity and everything of my household is in you. And God says, you are my icon. You, let me, uh, also in the ancient times, the icon or idols, statutes. Okay, so uh, Caesar. In the ancient times, Caesars had statues, or uh, take that back, Roman, if you watch any movies, uh, in the Roman culture back then, they had a lot of statues, and if you had a statue of a, um, a, a Caesar, people literally bowed down to it in passing, because in the, or they is considered a deity. They were worshipped as idols. In fact, Nero, who started the Christian persecution, was psychotic. He hated the Christians and the Jews because they f refused to bow down to his I idols, to worship it, because they said, uh, we will only worship one God. And so you're a false god. Uh, what did God say about, thou shalt not worship any other idols before me? There, god is one, the Lord your God. There's only one God. Ten Commandments. So why... And we see that God says, I'm a jealous God, but why do you think God forbids us to worship idols? Yeah, they're false gods. Because we are the representation. We are his idols. Yeah. We are made in his image. His identity, his image is in us. So for us to make something out of stone and wood and bow down to it. We are a representation of God, not that as a God. Does it make sense? The whole language is, we're going to create this entire universe for you. Oh, I haven't even got to the ultimate. Huh. All right. Look in your Bibles. And you're going to tell me. So, Aaron said there was a lot of separation. Okay, I want you to tell me what, what is happening in day one, two, and three. So as a poetry, you see repetition in um, languages, patterns, things that you see in the order. And one of the big debates is 
the debate of the day. Okay, so the the debate has been: Is the day twenty-four hour day, or is a day some symbolic thing? And there are many theories, including some of these gap theory. Um, there are so many. We're gonna get into really the one that makes sense. So here you go. Good question. Okay, how is day and night measured chronologically? Sun and the moon. All right. Okay, there's that. But there's also day in there. But way we understand day is rotations of the sun. But how do you measure without the sun? N right? Okay. And also, in day three, there's vegetation. But when did the sun come out? I think uh, pre previous. Yeah. So is it possible that it's the day and the night is not necessarily the 24-hour chronological, no. hypothetically? As a genre of poetry, it may not be the literal wording that we may have originally read it. And if it's not 24 hour, then maybe we're not talking about specific time frame, earth, age. So let's look at it with fresh eyes, okay? What happened in day one? Yes, Th there is the language of the separation and order. Okay, he, God is like rearranging and out of nothingness he created, okay? But uh, let me also say that um, within this creation, there is something called dominions and rulers. Dominions and rulers, okay? Dominions and rulers, so meaning there are certain kingdoms, and then there are rulers within those kingdoms. Stuff in it to rule over. Okay. In day one, we see separation and order of day and night. You guys see that? Day two, there is a separation of the waters and the sky, the expanse, okay? The, in that separation, there is uh, the sky and the sea. Day three, there is separation of the water to the land, and there's also vegetation. Okay, you guys see that? Mm -hmm. We're in agreement so far? Okay. Day four, what do you see? What's created? What was that? The sun and the moon? Sun, moon, stars? Okay. All right, day five, what do you see? Creatures, specifically? Birds, birds, fish. All right. Day six. What do you see? Before the man. Livestock or animals. Uh huh. Then, uh, then, mankind. Now, hypo just so you know, when you see man, it could also mean mankind. Okay, just depending on the context of written. So when you see man, it could be Adam, it could be mankind, which is male and female, he created them within the context. But day six, male and female, he created them. So I see male and female. Okay, so I want you to see this because I think it's, this is where the visual happens. As a poetry, sometimes things are spoken out in a picture. 
there are the dominions, and then there are rulers. God creates day and the night, and he places rulers to govern, rule over. He put the sun and the moon and the stars to govern the day and the night. He creates the sky and the sea, or separations, and creates that dominion, and then places the birds and the fish to govern, to rule in the sky and in the sea. You guys see that? He makes animals for the land to rule, and then man to rule over all the other. You guys see that? Then what happens on day seven? God rested. (laughs) God rested. And God rules over all. Now, it makes a difference if I write it this way as opposed to writing on a single linear. So we can't read the Old Testament ancient Near Eastern epic poetry as a Greek linear thinking logic. Make sense? It's more picturesque. It paints this framework. This is called framework hypothesis. It's hypo- hypothesis. It's part of Christian... Um, Theology, study of God, understanding of God. Um, But it makes sense because we recognize its genre. We recognize how the ancients read it, heard it, understood it, not as a 21st century Western thinkers, as a culture. Now, why does that matter? How many of you guys have been argued with. What about the dinosaurs? Yeah. Yeah, there are. Want to say it? Go ahead. In, In Book of Job, there are accounts of like descriptions of dinosaurs. Okay. And the word dinosaur wasn't really created until I think 1800s or something like that. I forget the exact data, but you look up the word dinosaur that wasn't created until much in the last couple, two, three hundred years. Go ahead. Leviathan, yeah, yeah. With a tail that sweeps, and s- there's some yeah. descriptions. Yeah. <laughs> so, coming back, you have people who argue okay, are Christians allowed to believe in dinosaurs? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm asking you as an open discussion. Yeah. So consider why consider why some Christians wanted to ignore it. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned to you early on, Archbishop James Usher, um, Bible study lineage, took all the years of the generations and said, hey, from time of Adam to today, uh, leading up to it, this number of generations, it's inaccurate because names were specifically left out in the genealogies. So you can't, it's not comprehensive, so you're not going to get an accurate number when Hebrew specifically left out some names intentionally. Um, but based on James, the Archbishop's Bible study, it's been taught young earth theory. The Christians wanted to refute, I mean, hold on to that because when the evolutionists say, all you need is billions of years, anything can happen. Really, the the, the Big Bang, and if you just have millions and millions of years, then things can 
change, mutate, and that's the language that would, so what the Christian fundamentalists argue, don't give him that eight time. Hold on to the young earth, that didn't happen. For me, because what they're saying is, you know, six days creation, earth only happened 10 years. If you don't, you can't believe this and believe in millions of years. Something doesn't, what I'm saying is, because they're holding on to the literal 24-hour period. Could be. Could be. Oh, so let me come back to that. Let me come back to that. Okay? Let me come back to that because if you look at generations around the world, cultures, there are dragon, stories of the dragons, Right? But even the Vikings, yeah. even the, the yeah. European, it's not just the Asians. Right. The, the, the dragons look different, but many of the images of the dragons on different cultures look like dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. So the word dinosaur wasn't created until the last 300 years, but dragons have existed in all cultures all around the world. So do they exist? Yeah. Do we have fossils? to pr Yes. What is the dispute? is the age. So what if I told you, what if I told you, we found dinosaur bones with soft tissue? Consider. They found dinosaur bones with soft tissue where they can extract DNA. Now, if it's... Because the the theory is on fossilization, and how do they how do the scientists uh, and I'm asking, uh, not that I know, how do the scientists know it was a let's say five you they threw out big numbers five million years old ten million years old carbon day okay. So, <laughs> how can they back that up as true? It's based on theories. And, and let me tell you, let me say one thing. To, there are scientists who refute other scientists because they disagree with the theories. And they will, like, to check the carbon dating or some of these, uh, there are many techniques of, to date. They will send a sample to different labs. Can you tell us how old this would be? Three different labs, three different dates of one particular sample. Uh, I forget what it was, but it's fossilized it's, you know, in stone. And they knew what it was. They made it. It was less than, it was like 50 years old, but it encased in stone, rock. Sent it to three different labs. One said, and I'm, gonna I'm throwing out a number here. Just one said 100,000 years. Another said like 10,000 years. Another said like 50,000 years. Broad, three huge different discrepant theories. Wide variation. And they knew for a fact that this was like a man-made created things, fossilized. Because you can create fossilization just by, you know, packing with certain pressure. Okay. This is how accurate that carbon dating is. <laughs> but consider that when dinosaur bones were found with soft tissue they want to keep it quiet because it doesn't support their narrative of millions of years yeah so we're coming back to, and one of the reasons why people doubt the Genesis account is, one, they don't know how to read it. They're reading like a science book or they're reading as a history book when all along it's a, it's a poem. And to say it's a poem, is, I'm not saying it's fictional. I'm saying you read it differently. 
yeah and when you read the day it's very strong possibility it did not mean literal 24-hour period because when we see this description of the day we see so if we say a, a painting or a picture is worth a thousand words right you guys heard this when you go into a museum and you go to a room and you see you know a painting and you go from one station to another and another maybe another room what you see is sometimes in Smithsonian's I've seen era of 16th century painting of whatever of the artist and their uh, interpretation of what was going on in culture and then the next painting is 50 years later or another painting is self-portrait of his time and place I, it's a snapshot in history that showed but it's not a literal 24-hour next day sequential it's a, it's a snapshot in history that literally happened I believe but God is saying I'm not talking about 24-hour period guys I'm talking about a time when I created the Dominion with rulers to rule over and to organize I may I created with a purpose and that purpose is to make man and woman in my image to rule to give as an inheritance my inheritance I built a kingdom a dominion and you are my rulers with my name in you that's the Genesis account when God gave Genesis to his people God's people verbally until Moses documented is so that remember who I am remember the Lord your God because if you remember who I am then you will worship me you'll walk with me you'll trust me you have faith in me and when you call me I will hear you I will walk with you I will bless you and the language is always from the very beginning to bless you not to harm you to give you hope in the future right God's not this vengeful hatred you know mean no he's not a God who wound up the clock created and let us be he was always involved dominions rulers and we are to rule over all these things that was the original plan does that help yeah when when I look at Genesis well uh, the beauty of Genesis as a literary genre but also God's word and plan is that we are not by chance there is so much order and purpose and plans and that is specifically for every one of you guys and we have to live that not so if we die if we're ba made by chance then there's nothingness but if we know that there's a creator then there is eternity and th that's the blessed plans Right. So we can kill God and really there's nothing nothing in the history and just basically what we want to do No, you're so you're talking about a hypothetical. hypothetical. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's what some believe, yeah, in that hedonistic way, but uh Right. And they are their own gods in their own eyes, and that's where the evil is stemmed from. No accountability and no one that they believe loves them and cares for them, you know, I I or has a plan for them. Yeah. Yeah. Our walk with the Lord starts with believing that He had a plan for us to bless us. You got. We have to believe that. If we steer away from that then God can be this mean vengeful one who wants to discipline us no it's always been because he loves what if God wanted to exchange his life for yours and bless you and make you a king in this life yeah. and, and live his, his life through you vicariously as a father to a son or a daughter 
that language of inheritance was that he, so if I'm going to close, but I'm going to hang out and talk, okay, because we're recording and I want to just talk off cuff without this microphone. Let me uh, close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in this biblical creation stu Bible study, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are uh, joined and to be able to see the genre and how beautiful your words are, but also your plans that were so beautiful to create this world and create us in your image that we might be your glory. May we uh, trust in your word, never to doubt, because your words are true, you alone are true, and you are worthy of following. We thank you. I ask for your blessing over my brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com.